Okay, so this is session three of the Pleasant Grove at College Street uh, new members class. And so today we are talking about our church covenant. Uh, session one was about um, the importance of church membership and a biblical uh, warrant for church membership. Um, session two was about what we believe. And so we talked about our creedal and our confessional statements. And so, um, now we are coming to, to what we would call our church covenant. And so, um, admittedly, there's probably a lot of people who maybe don't really know specifically what those words, uh, mean or, uh, what they include. Um, the reality is, is that probably most people, uh, especially if you, if you've been a part of a church that's been around for a little bit of time, um, your church probably had a church covenant. Uh, it was probably just something that you never saw and was never referenced. Now, not always. Um, sometimes the church covenant uh, in uh, some churches was still hanging. Uh, they would have it written out, hanging in maybe the lobby or someplace like that, a prominent place in the church where you could see it. Um, but oftentimes it's it's one of those documents that just sort of at some point people stopped talking about and now is in a set of official documents somewhere, but, but it's maybe not that central. Um, but I think probably particularly among reformed churches over the last um, few years is there's been a reemphasis on the idea of having a church covenant because there is um, an, a, an important piece um, that, that we need to emphasize when we talk about um, belonging to a church. And so, so maybe the first question would be is, is, well, what is, um, a church covenant? And so you can probably, uh, guess at least in some ways about just by the language of covenant. Okay. So what other kind of covenants are there? Marriage, marriage is a covenant, right? And so marriage is a covenant between a husband and a wife and, and God. Um, what other covenants can you think of? Yeah. The biblical covenants, right? So there are, yeah, Abrahamic and Noadic and Davidic and, and all those, the, the new covenant. Um, uh, and so they, these are the idea that God has made a, um, an agreement, um, with his people, um, that has various stipulations. And so, um, typically that's what a covenant we think of being is a tiff. A covenant is an agreement between um, two or more groups of people, um, two or more persons, um, and that that has sort of rights and obligations, expectations for for both sides. But it's an agreed upon um, statement of how we are to to live. And so, um, what we're going to do is kind of in the context of of what we've been talking about. Uh, we've had we've talked about our creed and our confession, which basically talk about what we believe doctrinally, our, our church covenant is going to be a little more of basically how we agree to live together. But we're going to talk about it in kind of five different ideas, okay? Um, and so the first one would be is that a, a church covenant is a promise. Um, it is a promise made to God. It is a promise made to the local church. So the gathered body of believers, and it's a promise that we make to ourselves. And so it is essentially saying, these are the things that I am promising that I will do. 
All right. I'm making a, a public, um, affirmation and declaration to, to God, to this gathered body of Christians in, in a local church and to myself. I'm holding myself to, to this promise of how I am going to live. Okay. And so we can talk about, we talked about when we, when we were doing the creed and confession about how maybe membership, um, actually, I guess we talked about it in the first session. A membership is maybe not necessarily the best language to use when we're talking about the church because membership sounds like country club or Netflix or, you know, uh, a gym or something like that. It's very come as you feel whenever you, you pay your dues and then you, you come as much as you want to. Right. And so we don't want to think of memberships, probably not one of the better terms to use in terms of church, even though we're, it's the common term, we're having a church membership class, right? Um, but covenant is probably a pretty good word. Okay. And because covenants have to do with promises. Uh, when you made your marriage covenant, um, you agreed to, uh, love, honor and, and cherish and whatever else, um, uh, your spouse. And so you were making a promise to God, making a promise to the people who were in attendance at your wedding. You were making a promise to your spouse and you were making a promise to yourself. And so covenant, a church covenant is a promise. Another way to talk about it would be a, that a church covenant is a summary of how we agree to live. All right. So. Um, we talked about how a creed, when we were talking about our creedal statement, we said, you know, isn't the Bible our creed? Like, if we want a statement of what we believe, why don't we just have the Bible as our statement of what we believe? Well, you could say the same thing in a sense about a covenant. If we want to say how we're going to promise to live together, then why don't we just promise that we'll live according to the Bible? Well, the same problem is there that was there with the creed. The Bible's a big book. It's got a lot of content in it, okay? And so it's hard to just say blanketly, we're going to obey the Bible because the Bible says a whole lot. Um, and so what we find is it's useful to summarize um, some key things, major categories of, of belief um, so that we can be on the same page about these things. The same way we did in the covenant about our belief is, is the same way we do about how we agree to live amongst each other in, in, uh, uh, as we think about a summary of how we live. So, so there on your, on your little handout, it says, while our statement of faith is a good summary of what we believe, our church covenant is a summary of how we agree to live. More importantly, it is a summary of how God would have us to live. It does not include every explicit command regarding obedience. The same way our church creed did not, in our covenant, uh, our confession did not include every single thing that we believe about everything, right? Um, but it does give a general summary of what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay. And so we're going to see in a minute when we go over the actual covenant, sort of the, how it zooms in on some big areas. Okay. Um, the church covenant is a sign of commitment. Okay. So it is a, it is a symbol of the commitment that we have made. And obviously this kind of overlaps with the idea of a promise too. Um, but it's very similar to the vows we make, um, in, in, uh, in a wedding ceremony, right? Um, you know, you probably heard this language when you got married, but that's 
part of the reason why we wear wedding rings, right? This wedding ring is essentially a symbol of the vows that we made. Okay. And so that's why usually in a wedding ceremony, the rings are put on the finger while the two, the, the couple is saying their vows, right? Because then you say, well, cool. Then the idea is that for the rest of your life, you're going to look down at your hand and that ring is going to be a reminder of the vows that you have made. Okay. So a, a church covenant, um, a little more, a little more nebulously, right? The church covenant becomes a sign of the, the vows that you have made. That's part of the reason why a lot of churches would present it in a foyer or something as you walked into the church, that it would be a reminder there all the time of what you were promising. Um, lots of churches will, will intentionally zoom in on their church covenant during baptismal ceremonies, right? Because they're saying we are receiving this person into the church and here are the vows that we make to them and they are making to us. Okay. And so, so the, 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 the church covenant becomes a sign of that. And then, and then maybe lastly, um, a way to talk about it is, um, well, not lastly, we got two more. Um, fourthly, uh, it's an ethical statement. Uh, so, so there's this historian named Charles, uh, DeWeese, and he makes a comment in, in a book. He says, a church covenant is a series of written pledges based on the Bible, which church members voluntarily make to God and to one another regarding their basic moral and spiritual commitments and the practice of their faith. So one theologian calls church covenants the ethical counterpart to the confession of faith. So, so a word that we often hear in the church is the word orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means right belief. But the word that you hear less frequently is the word orthopraxy, which the word orthopraxy means right activity or right action. Okay. If the, if the creed and confession give us our orthodoxy, um, or a statement of our orthodoxy, the, the church covenant is a statement of our orthopraxy, how we agree to act amongst each other. And so it's giving an ethical standard, right? So again, this idea of ethics of, of right interaction with, with others, right interaction with God, right interaction with our community, uh, right interaction with the lost, all these things. Um, this gives us sort of an overarching, uh, statement of that. And then, and then lastly, and most obviously, I hope is that it's a biblical standard. So this is what we are attempting to do is, in, in concise form, give the, the, the large picture of what, um, the church is supposed to look like and supposed to be doing according to the scriptures. Um, it is a way, just like it says there, to exhort one another to live holy lives, um, and to live in accordance with what the Bible tells us to. Okay. So, so that's kind of the idea of, of what a church covenant is. And again, um, it may be the case that you've come from a church that, that the church covenant was very, uh, prominent. Um, it may also come, you may have also come from a church where it was less prominent. Um, but we try to make our church covenant something that we, uh, are reminded of regularly. It's something that we want to put before you and in, if you're considering membership, it's also something that we um, regularly recite in the context of the service. So about essentially what we do is we go through our confession, uh, you know, and go through each point of the confession. And then when we're done with that, we go through the covenant and then we go back to the confession and go through. So um, 
And so that's what we, we want to try to keep it before you. So what I guess we're going to do right now is if you've got your little handout there, so just look over on um, uh, that first page. And so our church covenant um, is, it is very influenced by the church covenant of uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in, in Washington, D.C. Um, its content is, uh, if you look at their covenant and you look at ours, there's a lot of verbiage that's similar, some sort of major sections that are similar, but we sort of added to ours and, and tweaked it in different ways to kind of make certain emphases um, that we wanted to to make. But we, uh, because we're good Baptists, we wanted to alliterate this thing like out the wazoo. And so we've got, we jokingly call it the, the nine G's. Um, and so everybody hates that name for it except me. Um, I think it's a great thing. It's like it's G9. It sounds like some sort of political entity, the G9. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. The G9 summit is this weekend or something like that, right? Um, but it's, but it's nine, uh, points with a preamble and a, I still have never looked up with the thing after a postamble. That's all I can, I always say that. I don't think it's a real word, but a preamble and a postamble. Um, I guess maybe that's what it is. It's a ramble. Yeah. So, um, so let's just kind of begin at the beginning, which makes sense and we'll kind of work through it. So the preamble says, having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. All right? So the beginning is basically pointing out the idea of saying uh, this covenant is supposed to be among those who are followers of Jesus Christ, right? Um, if, if you could not read that first part and affirm it, then there would be something that you needed to do still, right? So that's why we talk about there has to be personal belief. Um, and then we believe you should be baptized, um, before you join the church. Okay. Um, because both of those are precursor symbols of, of being connected to God's greater kingdom before you join to a local body of, of believers. Okay. Um, so we begin with the gospel. The first G is gospel. And it's the idea, again, remembering and thinking in terms of, uh, and you can stop me at any point if you've got a question um, or, or whatever, but thinking of the idea of how are we agreeing to live amongst each other. And so the first one has to do with the ideas of knowing and proclaiming the gospel. Um, as those who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will seek the salvation of our families, neighbors, communities, and the nations by sharing the gospel with them the gospel as we have opportunity. Okay. So one of the first thing that we are committing to is saying, if you are committing to be part of this church, you are committing to being an evangelist for the gospel. That for those people who are in your life, you are committing to share the gospel with those people, whether they are family members, neighbors, or as we pointed, there's, there's a, there's an emphasis on missions there too, right? To take the gospel to the nations. Hey, how we doing? I just, I was working downstairs. I didn't want to. Sure. Yep. Yep. You're good. Yep. No problem. No, you're good. Um, I think it's it's right that we would start with the gospel, right? Um, the gospel is sort of the center of the preamble and the fact that you've believed the gospel. And then now the first point is to say that we should be gospel people who are, who are sharing the gospel with others. Um, 
Any comments or questions about that? So the second point would be grace. And so we're talking about um, the way that we engage with other people. Um, and that is in a spirit of humility and forgiveness. And so the, the, the covenant says we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace from a posture of humility, thankfulness, and forgiveness. Okay. So as a general thing, as we are engaging with each other within the church, we are going to try to, um, maintain unity that we are not going to be divisive. Um, obviously sometimes you have to be divisive. Uh, Paul talks about the idea that sometimes you have to, there have to be factions so that you know who is rightly following Christ and who is not following Christ. But, but, but oftentimes factions are not a function of that. Um, and so what we are going to do is as we seek unity among each other, we are going to live in humility and forgiveness and, and, uh, and thankfulness, um, for those, um, who are in our community, right? So you may have some beef with somebody. There may be some friction or conflict. But instead of entering into talk with that person from a position of high-mindedness or self-righteousness, we're going to enter into it through humility and thankfulness and forgiveness. Questions, comments? I'll tell you what I'll do is as we, when we transition from point to point, I'll just kind of look at you. And if you've got something that you would like to add, then feel free to speak up. Um, or questions that you would like to ask. Uh, another thing that we are promising to do is to guard each other. And that is the idea of both edification, but also of discipline in the context of, of the body. So we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, faithfully admonishing and entreating one another as occasion may require, and submitting to the authority of the elders and the gathered members of our congregation. Okay, so that is to say that um, we're going to watch out for each other. And if we see each other um, drifting from the faith or drifting from the gospel um, or drifting into any kind of sin or not drifting, walking headlong into it, we are going to be people who are watchful and 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 careful with each other's lives and uh, encourage people back, um, uh, call them back to faithfulness. And with, with the ultimate, um, with a long series of events down the line, that could end up leading to official sort of discipline or something by the church body. It could even, it could get to that, right? That's the, that's not the point of this. Um, but, but it would, you know, the Bible certainly has ideas about those things. Um, uh, it, it, just for tying it back into our uh, confessional statement, this points again to our congregationalism to say it is not the elders alone that are ultimately responsible for for the discipline of the church. It's the members that we all as a group of uh, believers are the ones who um, are ultimately called to hold each other to account. Right. Um, and so that's an important piece. OK, to say if someone is sinning in the church. um Somebody might say, well, cool, it's the elders ought to do something about that. And the answer is, no, we, the church body, need to do something about that. Has, has anything like that come 
Yeah, yeah, um, on, yeah, it has. Um, on, um, on varying levels, right? Um, interpersonal conflicts, um, someone who is maybe uh, living in, in some sort of obvious kind of uh, sinful thing, someone who is doing things that are unwise. Um, and so obviously mostly what happens is this happens on a very organic level. This happens by friends talking to other friends and saying, Hey man, what's going on? You know, um, kind of deal. Um, and, and obviously the Bible lays that out in, in the gospel of Matthew about this process of, of confronting someone with their sin, taking others to do it, and then eventually bringing it before the church. But, um, and it's not a fun process and a process that is hard, um, particularly in certain situations, but, but also uh, on one side, I think it goes on all the time. Uh, it, and it has gone on all the time of people just kind of having conversations and, and, and working through issues. So, but we are committed to do that. So if you're sort of, your attitude would be, nah, man, I don't want to get in anybody's business and I'm going to let them live their lives and I'm going to live mine. Then you should probably go somewhere else because that's not what we are hoping. It doesn't mean we're busy bodies. It doesn't mean we're just looking for places to, you know, uh, in, uh, pick at people's lives. Obviously we're still acting in a spirit of humility, thankfulness and forgiveness. That's why that's first. Um, but, but in from that posture, we want to guard each other because we want to, um, we want to care for each other and not let others fall into the, the problems that sin, sin causes. So. Yep. And not, not specifically. Um, there is a little bit of a flow to them in some places, but, but not across the board. I mean, it's not like each one leads into the next one every time. So, um, so for, yeah, go ahead. I appreciate that because I've been a part of churches that did not handle church discipline biblically in the way that it should be mm-hmm. held. And as a result, lots of broken relationships and, and, and people leaving the church in general just having nothing to do with church mm-hmm. because of the way they were burned mm-hmm. in the gotcha moment mm-hmm. instead of yep uh, gather prayer and presence we will not forsake the regular assembling of ourselves together nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others okay that means that it's, it combines two things that maybe might not immediately be connected, but we expect you to be here and we expect you to be in prayer for, for this congregation and the people in it. Okay. And so that's another piece, man. Attendance is a big piece in, in churches today. I know we missed <laughs> If you're feeling guilty, it's, I'm not laying that on you. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we, uh, we, there was a study that was done a few years ago and they basically asked people from a previous generation, let's say boomers or, or something like that. What is regular church attendance? And that generation said, uh, twice a week is regular church attendance twice a week. You ask somebody from a millennial or, or that generation and they t- typically say twice a month is regular <laughs> church attendance. 
Um, and so it just, it just points to the idea that regular attendance in a church, um, to even multiple services beyond just the, the Sunday service is something that has, um, dwindled in, in the importance of people. Okay. Um, again, and when I was a kid, it was normal to have three services a week. You would have a Wednesday and two Sundays and they would all be different. They would all be doing different things. They might not technically be like a typical worship and preaching service. They might be a discipleship time or something, but that was typical and, and faithful, you know, quotation marks, faithful people were there at all three of them, um, each week. And so, um, again, we don't want to be legalistic on that, but, but one thing that I've said to people is consider the way the expectations of the other important organizations you're a part of. If you treated your, in, your job, your school, um, your, obviously you guys are probably not on teams of, you know, you're not, you're not on a football team or whatever, but, but if you treated any of those entities with the attendance record that, that you, uh, you treat it with the same urgency as the church, because I think the church ought to get more urgency, right? Um, if your boss won't let you be, uh, absent every other attendance period, then why would you treat the church that way? So we expect you to be here. We know there's going to be times you're sick. We know there's not going to be times you're, you know, you've got some kind of, you're having a baby, uh, man, more than uh, we get a lot of those, right? Um, you know, you're going to have vacations here and there. We're going to be out of town. We get it. Okay. Um, but if, if it ends up being where you're like, yeah, I'm there 50% of the time, then probably you need to reassess your schedule and your priorities. Um, we're going to grow together. So the fifth G is grow. And this talk is talks about being disciples and about being disciple makers. We will endeavor to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to make disciples as we go by bringing up those who may be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord with the scriptures as our standard and by pure and loving example, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. All right. And so um, that emphasizes both sides of it, that you are a disciple, that we are that you are committing to grow in the grace and knowledge of, of Jesus Christ as as an individual, but also to be a discipler, um, to make disciples as you go where you have opportunity to. And what do we mean by making disciples? We mean using the scriptures as, a, as our standard. So we are teaching them the things that God has commanded. We are also being disciple makers by setting an example with our lives. Um, and we're calling people um, to obey Christ fully. We want people to follow him in every aspect of their life, um, not just, you know, one one piece. I think that's one key thing of discipleship, right? The idea of saying, man, we're not just trying to make converts. Um, we're not just trying to get people to come to church. We're trying to make disciples of Jesus. And what disciples of Jesus do is they follow him at, at every aspect of their life. Uh, six, we are going to greet and that is the idea of hospitality and fellowship. So we will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows 
as we walk alongside each other in fellowship and hospitality. So again, something that as an emphasis of our church, we want the people in our church to be in community with each other. Okay. We don't want church to be something that you only do on Sundays and only engage with those people on Sundays. Um, we want this body to be your friends. Um, and the people that you, you know, the work, do life with, right? We, that's, that's what we want this body to be. And so that means all kinds of things. It means just like we said, sharing and joys, um, but also helping people bear burdens. Um, it means spending time together in fellowship and, and socially means getting to know each other on a, on a deeper level. Um, and, and being connected to people's lives. Again, maybe not every church would necessarily put that as an emphasis, um, but it's an emphasis that we want to have, and we think it is a biblical emphasis. There's a, there's a neat kind of when you, when you look at um, the origin of words and stuff, there is a neat implication of the word hospitality versus the word fellowship. Um, in a sense, when you look at their word origins, fellowship is something you do with friends. Hospitality is something you do with strangers. Uh, you, you show, I mean, we, and we could get into the, the origin of the word, but hospitality is something you show to someone, um, who could, it, a stranger or even an enemy. It's, it's not something that you would show to somebody who everybody already expected you to, to care about. That would be fellowship. Um, a fellow is somebody who is in your community and, and you're connected to, uh, but hospitality is shown to the outsider. We want to do both, right? We want, um, we want to show fellowship and hospitality to people. There are people who maybe come into the church who at the beginning are strangers, right? They're believers in Jesus Christ, but new members are strangers at the beginning. We want to show hospitality to those people, um, and, and go out of our way to, welcome them in and, and make them feel like they are fellows um, so that they can be fellows. Okay. And obviously a lot of that has to do with man dinners together and, and outings and birthday parties and celebrations and um, all of that stuff. Uh, let's see here, seven, godliness. Um, this is the idea of being both priests and pilgrims in this world. Uh, we will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. So essentially what that would be, and maybe again, you would think it would go without saying, but it is that we hope and expect that you would attempt to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ outside the walls of our congregation, um, that you would not um, live a double life where you are living in, in worldliness uh, out in the world and living in godliness when you are in the church. Okay. Um, and if you add these things together, you say, and guess what? We're going to be guarding you. So not only are we expecting you to act this way, but if you don't, 
you should expect that someone is going to say something about it. Okay. Um, so, you know, let's take an example that I think is, is prevalent and common among young people. And that would be a situation with something like alcohol, right? We're not a teetotaler church. We're not saying that nobody can ever drink alcohol, but there are lots of people who are very free with that. Okay. They've come out of, you know, uh, sort of a, maybe a college culture, just sort of a young adult partying kind of culture or whatever. And so they kind of come into the church and they go, yeah, man, I'm, I want to follow Jesus, but in my free time, in my personal time, I'm still going to live in, in many of the practices that I've been living in. Um, and we're saying, yeah, you can't really do that anymore. Um, you, you, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and be committed to our fellowship, we are asking that you would live in a more, um, uh, you would be more diligent, um, and more focused on living in a, in a way that is, um, righteous in terms of the word of God. Okay. And obviously that, that can invite, we should be aware that can invite legalism. Like we need to be careful. We're not trying to just always be nitpicky and judgmental. We're not trying to be legalistic or moralistic even about things. We're just saying, Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, there are certain moral and ethical um, uh, commands that should be that we should be able to see lived out in your life. Eight gifts, serving and spiritual gifts. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church with our skills, talents, and spiritual gifts. So that is quite simply to say we need and the church needs and God has equipped you with the intent of each of us bringing something to the table that benefits the whole. That each of us have skills and talents. Each of us have abilities. Each of us have spiritual gifts, something that has specifically been imparted to us at our salvation through the Holy Spirit that God intends for us to use for the benefit of, of the church and, and probably more generally for the world. And so there, there aren't any, that is to say, there aren't any passengers. Um, we are all supposed to be um, active workers. We are all supposed to be serving and bringing those gifts to bear at the table. I use this illustration, I think in here in, or in, in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, but I, I, I've said it recently sometime. Um, so I work at UPS. I think most of you guys know. And there's, there's an interesting thing at UPS where we have noticed that when we have people absent is oftentimes when more injuries take place. There are more injuries if, as for the whole company. And, and the obvious reason for that is, is when people are absent, that means other people have to do jobs that they're not used to doing and are maybe not equipped for. And they do them poorly and then people end up getting hurt. Okay. I think there is a powerful spiritual principle there for us too. If you thought about your life as if to say, if I am not at church or if I am not active in the body, something that I am uniquely gifted to do is not going to get done or my absence is going to force somebody else to do it who is not gifted to do it or not prepared to do it. Okay. And that is going to cause spiritual tension and harm in, in my fellowship. 
Okay. So imagine a scenario in which you're, you know, when you think about spiritual gifts and stuff like that, talks about the spiritual gift of mercy. Okay. Um, if we need, if we've got a situation where mercy needs to be shown and you are not there to show mercy and the prophet, uh, spiritual gift is asked to do it, there's probably going to be some hurt feelings and burned bridges. Because the person who needed to speak into this person's life, the merciful person, is not going to be there. And instead, somebody else who maybe is not the best person to speak into their life is going to be there. That's a weird, you know, very specific kind of thing. But but I want you to think of it in those kind of terms. Uh, we need you for something. I don't even, I don't know what that is because I don't know all your gifts and I don't know what you're best at and I don't know what you're geared towards. But every one of us has got something we believe in a God who has ordained things, right? Uh, I believe that y- if you end up being a part of our church, you are here because God has specifically ordained that you should be here. Um, he has put you in a place and a time and among a people for a p- specific purpose because there's something that you contribute to us, all right? Um, he intends for you to be used in a certain way. And so I don't know what that is. You may not even know what it is yet, but it's something. And we're saying we're agreeing to seek those things out and live in, in faithfully in those things in terms of using our gifts. Yep. Yeah. 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 Or charismatic. Yeah. Um, so we don't have an official position on that as terms of our, our, belief, um, meaning we are open to people having, uh, different nuances, um, of, of belief on those things. Um, I typically say me personally, and obviously I'm going to, I preach this way and stuff. I am a soft cessationist. Okay. So that is to say, it's not that I, I 100% believe that the, the spirit is still gifting people. Okay. Um, I, I do think that some of the more dramatic gifts tended to be for a unique time and a unique circumstance of the early church. However, the reason why I say is I'm a soft cessationist is because I think there could be other circumstances in which those kinds of gifts were needed in the same ways they were needed back then. And God might ordain to use them in that way. And so um, that that's my personal opinion. But there are probably other people in this church who have both opinions, both a cessationist opinion of of works, uh, uh, spiritual gifts that is, and and something more of a charismatic um, understanding where they say no, the gifts are still in place. Um, I would say we tend towards the cessationist side. Um, we're certainly not. Nobody would probably come to our church and say that is an obviously charismatic church. Um, uh, and, and were there to be someone who was part of our church who was, let's say, demonstrating charismatic gifts, bringing a word of prophecy or something like that, then what we would do is we would do what the Bible tells us to do. And that is to test the spirits. And we would say, does it seem like this person is actually speaking on behalf of, of the Lord or is this just something that they, uh, um, yeah, are, 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 are saying in and of their, uh, of themselves, um, maybe even, uh, genuinely they think it's from God, but 
but we tend to disagree um, because that happens all the time. Um, but certainly we believe that God still gifts his church with, with spiritual gifts. Um, many, I think most cessationists would even honestly say that they would not say that he, the Holy Spirit is no longer working. They would just say he's no longer working in certain ways. Because I would say that he's still giving people. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there's a long, there's a larger kind of, uh, theology to what those things mean. Why were those gifts in place? You know, was it, is it a function of the fact that the scriptures weren't, the New Testament scriptures weren't in place? You know, they're demonstrating to people who have never seen or heard the gospel or the biblical, uh, witness before. And so there's a lot to that, but, but yeah, that's a general answer. And then lastly, uh, is give. And so that is talking about the ideas of our treasure and our sacrifice. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel through the nations. And so that is basically, um, specifically a monetary kind of thing to say, man, we expect you to give to the church. Uh, we expect you to give monetarily to the church. Uh, we can't do those things, uh, support the ministry and the expenses of the church, relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel through the nations without funds. Um, we don't only need funds. There are other things that we need too in those things like gifts and talents and skills and prayer and all kinds of things, but we have to have funds too. And so, um, it's another thing that's important, I think, especially dealing with a congregation that has largely, um, younger people. Um, people who are not at their prime earning in their careers, um, sometimes not even in their careers, right? Sometimes just working a job and trying to, um, make ends meet and stuff like that. Um, but what we would say is, is while there is not a legalistic standard of what the giving should be, the Bible still gives us lots of, um, guidelines for giving in the New Testament to give um, regularly to give sacrificially, to give consistently, to give in keeping with what, uh, you earn, um, you know, proportionately, I guess you would say to give discreetly, um, you know, like all these different things there, uh, while the tithe, the, 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 uh, official 10% may not be, um, dictated in the new Testament. There's still lots of, of things that, that delineate how we should give. And so again, um, I think it's the case that many times young people, let's say 20 somethings are coming into a time where they've not tithed before because they've never been in a position where they could significantly. Sometimes they've never even really held down a steady job. And then all of a sudden now they're post-college in their early twenties and they start going, Oh man, I got an income now. Um, and, and it's something that, that, uh, that we are expecting that you would do. Okay. Um, we are not at the point where, you know, there are literally churches out there in the world who publish giving, uh, records and things like that, that basically the church is everybody in the church can be aware of what everybody's giving and things like that. There are churches that do that. Um, there are off many churches that do that, at least with the staff, um, you know, um, I think that's not necessarily a good idea either. Um, uh, I, 
for example, the mother church tries to intentionally the staff not know what individuals are giving because they don't want to be in a situation where they are thinking and favoring um, people by, by their giving or whatever. So they prefer not to know. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that has to take place in the context of saying, but we are expecting that you will give um, as an act of, of faithfulness, as an act of worship to God. Um, and we'll leave it between you and God what what you think is the right amount to give. Um, and then we close with the epilogue. epilogue. Yeah, epilogue. You looked it up, didn't you? The epilogue. Um, sort of the epilogue. Um, uh, and we will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. And so essentially what that is to say is that we recognize there could be any number of reasons why you would have to um, uh, discontinue membership from this church and go somewhere else. Um, uh, we hope that the case is, is that normally that is because of a move, not because of a, um, you know, just you going, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, because we would, we would like for you to, uh, if you don't like being here, we'd like to work that out and figure out why that is. And if it's a function of your discontent, um, or a function of, of something, um, some kind of disagreement or something, we would like that to be, be fixed. But we also recognize that many times, um, you know, just in the last year or two, man, we've had lots of people who have moved away or gone other places and done things. But the idea of that, that epilogue is to say, we're asking that you would commit to when you leave this place, wherever you end up, get connected to another church there. Um, don't let that be an opportunity to let um, a covenant with a body of believers lapse. Um, but quickly, as soon as you can find a church that is in keeping with the, the gospel spirit of our church, um, and the biblicity, if that's a word, um, of our church, uh, and, and join with it, um, and be a part of it. So to say all those things is to basically say, if, if, if you are interested in, in being a member of our church is we would ask you to uh, vow to do these things to the best of your ability and to return to this document regularly to say, and I, am, am I, am I living up to my vows, right? Am I, am I keeping these things that I've promised to these people? Um, or am I, have I fallen into complacency when it comes to, to my responsibilities? Same way you might with a marriage, right? To every once in a while say, am I really being the person that I promised my spouse I would be? Um, I hope it's something you do regularly in your covenant with God as you continue to say, God, am I being faithful? Am I living in a way that honors you? Um, we want you to, to, to revisit that um, and to keep those vows before you in terms of belonging to our congregation. So, amen. Questions, comments, concerns? Uh, yeah. Is the sixth one the interview? Yeah. So 